Hey, thank you so much, Pastor Quinton. Um, hey, I just want to join um, Uncle Alan and the whole church just to convey our condolences to, to Megan and her family. Um, you may not know this, but Megan um, plays a very pivotal role in our church staff team. Uh, on top of running all of our staff, she also is my assistant, and uh, I would not be half as chirpy and happy as I am <laughs> if it wasn't for her. And uh, I know this has been um, a difficult season for her, uh, but I think she has very honorably and very, very faithfully um, watched over the final years of her mom. And to me, she's been an inspiration and an example. So I want to commend you, Megan, and our condolences um, to you. Hey, uh, let me let me open in prayer. Father, um, I thank you for the privilege of being able to speak your word today. Thank you that we are all able to gather here today and, and open up scriptures that have been preserved for us to guide us through life, to show us who you are. I, I pray, Lord God, that even as I speak, it would not be my words, but Lord, that you would help me to be faithful to the text that we are about to open today and that we as a congregation would be faithful to the calling that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, um, if you are visiting for the first time, my name is Chris. I'm the senior pastor here. But uh, I actually, I grew up here at FGA. And just sitting in service today, wow, it was like so nostalgic. I love the fact that Linda got up and shared um, something personal uh, about a song that she was leading. I love the fact that Uncle Alan led uh, communion. Communion, Uncle Alan, was one of the, the better communions that we've had in a long time. And, and God was really even convicting me about my own sin and having some time to um, sort things out with God before communion was so um, essential. I, I love the fact that we prayed for Uncle Roland, Auntie Eve, Uncle Wysey, and Auntie Annie. Uh, you, have to, you may not know this, but I was just a teenager when I started at FGA. And and these guys, the husband and wife teams, were legends. And I, I looked up to them. They were the first pastors even here at FGA. And to, for them to be able to do this mission work, that is, um, to me, is such a privilege that I get to be senior pastor in an era where we're sending them out. It's so, t um, it, it's so what is the, um, pivotal what they are doing uh, in missions by not just going to another country and just, I don't know, starting a new missions work. Uh, they are actually um, going in and talking to the pastors that are already doing godly good work in those countries and then supporting them, looking after their families, making sure they're connected with God, inspiring them for another season going forward. And I think that will reap um, exponential fruit. So I just, just in today's service even, I was just thinking, wow, I wish I was just a congregation member here and didn't have to like preach on Friday, preach today. I think I'm preaching again next week. And it, um, it's such a privilege to have grown up here. Um, and, and so I don't want to take lightly the fact that I'm going to be preaching from God's Word today. The series that we are in uh, takes a good look at the clothes that we wear. 
Uh, you'll see our, our Deco teams put up cloth everywhere, and we're looking at dressed, dressed for every season. And, and our anchor verse for the series is in Romans 13, verse 14. And it says to put on, and that word put on uh, specifically is used for clothes. That's why, um, that's why uh, we've gone with the clothes theme. But it says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And I guess the, the, the thrust of this series is that as we uh, change our clothes for every season, as we get ready for all kinds of things, one of um, the essential things that we must put on as Christians is Christ, is Christ himself. Uh, this, this series actually looks at a range of different things that happen to us, just like Melbourne's weather, which is so unpredictable, sometimes raining, sometimes, or Australia's weather, sometimes fire, sometimes flood. Um, our life can be like that. And so how, how can we put on the Lord Jesus Christ through every season? And I love Pastor Roland's message last week where he spoke about not disqualifying yourself from God's promises. Uh, we're actually anchoring around the character of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is the other Christmas Joseph. Uh, you may have heard of, you know, Joseph and Mary in the Christmas story, but we're actually doing the Christmas story looking at the other Christmas Joseph. And you'll see very, very, very soon how this Joseph that we're covering in the end of the book of Genesis actually ties in to the story of Jesus and the story of Christmas. Um, I think stories are so impactful. Uh, if you think about it, it's so hard to remember all the principles in the Bible, all of God's instructions, uh, maybe Pastor Roland's message, every single point of Pastor Roland's message last week. But what stories do is they help us to remember because maybe you can't remember every point and maybe you can't remember every instruction, but I'm hoping you can remember the story of Joseph. Pastor Roland kicked off the story of Joseph. He began favored, right? Um, he began favored amongst all the sons, and he was set up to, to have a life of leisure. They say his multicolored robe, one of the things that was so irritating about it was, because it's colorful and they don't have laundry machines and things like that, one of the things that was so irritating about Joseph's multicolored coat was you can't do any work while you're wearing it. So, not only did all the sons, all the brothers, look at their younger brother and go, oh, he's got a multicolored coat. It basically meant he is special. He doesn't have to go and work. That's why he's the one at home when they're all out working, right? Because, you know, can't dirty the coat. Um, and so maybe you can't remember that he had it really good and then he was taken down. That was last week right? His brothers tried to kill him. And yet, Joseph did not disqualify himself from the calling that was on his life. He was able to still see through the promises that God had. And I want to encourage you to go back to Pastor Roland's uh, message because I thought that was really, really significant. Mm. 
why do these stories stay with us? I think in today's generation when so many things go uh, all over the place, some of these old techniques help us to remember things. So I'm going to use an ancient, an ancient Hebrew technique for my message today. It's so old, it predates Jesus. It's found in the book of Proverbs. And today's message, I'm going to try and use a style called the three plus one. The three plus one. It's found um, in Proverbs 30 and, and, and various other places. But it's three similar things. Three very similar things. And one that is like it, but different. It's like, uh, uh, you got to read Proverbs 30. Oh my goodness, there's some really dodgy things in there. But it's okay. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. Right? So this is the, the technique. It's because it was written in an era where people, a lot of people were not literate, so they couldn't read. And then also, they didn't have the internet, so they just couldn't Google stuff. So you had to, you had to do things that it would hit in memory. So today's message is three ways to put on Christ, and one that is so true, it will blow your mind. Yeah, just like all those internet clickbait things that you I think, honestly, we have not changed much as a society, all right? Three ways to put on Christ, and one that is so true, it will blow your mind. And we are in Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39. And what we're following along in that story of Joseph, where he has been left for dead in a pit, because his brothers are so jealous of him. They've told their dad that, that the brother is dead, but secretly they've sold him to slavery. And now he is off in a foreign land. He is the lowest of the low classes in Egypt. And he gets sold to a man called uh, Potiphar. Uh, what does Joseph do at his lowest point? So the first thing that I would like you to write down is diligent where you are placed. If we're going to put on Christ like Joseph does, and so I'm hoping the story of Joseph will help you remember how we can put on Christ. The first thing he did was he was diligent where he was placed. Let's read this. He goes, now Joseph had been brought down, literally brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house. So he made it from the outside all the way into the house of his Egyptian master. And if you read on, you'll see that God um, prospered his diligent, hard work. Joseph, even though he was in a bad situation, decided that he was going to give it a good go. That he was going to be diligent where he was placed. You know, sometimes we don't like a lot in life. We, we don't like the thing that has happened to us that has been outside of our control. Just like the weather or the season that we're in, we can sometimes get to a, a stage where we go, you know what, if only my brothers were not so terrible, if only my father had not done this 
or done that. If only my boss had not uh, sacked me or if only this had not happened. And we get to, sometimes we get to a state where we're very, very much consumed with the thing that has happened to us that we pause our life, that we pause what we do and we allow it to consume us. Sometimes what we do when we're in these situations is we like to compare we like to compare what it could have been. I'm sure Joseph, when he is there doing slave labor in a foreign country, must be thinking, oh, I imagine, I remember when I was growing up in my father's house. If only my brothers didn't do this to me. If only they were not such terrible brothers. I'm sure Joseph could compare and he could look at the other people that he was serving and see their lives. Maybe Potiphar had a favorite son. Maybe, you know, there are other people going around living a good life that he was not living because he was now a slave. Let me tell you something about this compare mentality. This mentality where because something has happened to you, you're now looking around, you're thinking, what if this didn't happen? What if this didn't happen to me? We now know as society that comparison takes time. It takes time. That if you are going to spend your days looking at how other people are doing, wishing that you had gone on the holiday that they had gone on, being at the party that they had been on, we, we all know now that this thought exercise of going Oh, I don't like the situation I'm currently in. I wish I was in another situation. It's taken a life of its own in our society. You can browse Facebook, Instagram. You can go on a device for hours and hours and hours. In fact, um, I had my daughter the other day come up and said, Oh, Dad, guess what my screen time tells me? It's a new thing on your phone. Five hours of browsing. I'm like, oh my goodness. That is not a thing you should be proud of. But anyway, entire hours, days of our lives, weeks can be consumed by the obsession that you wish you were somewhere else, doing something else. And maybe you were not disadvantaged in the particular way that you were. But Joseph, he doesn't do that. He sets about the task that is given him. So he does well and he doesn't take credit for it. In fact, you will see in this passage, he attributes his success to the Lord. He is still very much holding on to the promise that God gave him. He is still very much close to God and attributing all that happens in his life to God which would be actually very surprising. Um, in fact, Joseph is a type of Jesus. So you'll see me say this many, many times. But Joseph represents, is a foretelling of Jesus who is yet to come. Do you know what kind of a demotion it is to be up in heaven and then born in a manger? Could you imagine that is a step down further than being a favorite child in Joseph's house and then becoming a slave? Jesus 
himself, which Joseph is a type of, actually when he came and we're celebrating Christmas, when he was born here as a baby, actually had a lot of issues he could have been hung up in. But instead, Jesus was diligent where he was placed. And so I think the first thing that the Joseph story tells us in chapter 39 is, how's your work ethic? How are you? What are you doing where God has placed you? What clothes do you put on? When you put on Christ, one of the things we must do is we must put on this, we must put on this mantle where we go, God has given us a calling and we have a purpose. And you'll see Joseph, he gets to the end of his story and he reveals his purpose. Of things that were intended for evil, God intended for good. He reveals his purpose later on. Jesus ends up revealing his purpose. And I want to put it to you, in your life, when you get to the end of it, you will get your purpose revealed. Okay, the second thing is upright when no one is looking. They're all three of the same things. Upright when no one is looking. And so, as you know, in Joseph's story, he does really, really well. He gets promoted all the way up. Promoted all the way up to the top of Potiphar's home. He's second in charge of everything. And then, the Bible says he is a a young, handsome, good-looking, whatever it is, right? He gets hit on by Potiphar's wife. In fact, not just once, many, many times. She, she tries to seduce him many, many times. And, and Joseph, in private, when no one is looking, even to the detriment of his own career and his own life, decides that he's going to do the right thing. In fact, he, he flees uh, from the temptation. Now, I'm just going to do an aside here because I'm very keen on biblical context. People who don't read the Bible and only have the Sunday school version of this sometimes think that the cliche is being talked about. That the Bible is is so biased, you know, and clearly painting women as the seductress and so evil. And then Joseph, the really great, innocent guy and... And, and then somehow it's formed society to be a, a, in such a way that, that women are always kind of portrayed badly and men kind of get scot-free off of things. And then, right? But there is a reason why Genesis 39 is placed after Genesis 38. Do you know what Genesis 38 talks about? It's Judah and Tamar. All right? And I'm just going to read that to you because I think, especially today, when I talk with a lot of young adults, um, I think we basically just get the Sunday school version of stories. We don't read through the whole actual Bible. And you miss the fact that the Bible is very, very deliberate in one, telling things as they are, but two, Almost going countercultural to present uh, that balance. So uh, you see here in, in 38, 24 to 27. Uh, um, so in this story, Judah, um, who's one of the sons, right? And uh, Judah, who, Lion of Jesus, Lion of Judah, right? Um, 
uh, Judah ends up being tricked to sleep with his daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law is now pregnant. And it's so scandalous. This is so bad. Read the... Now, again, different time, different culture. So, um, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral, terrible woman. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. And so Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. Wow. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. So Tamar is the daughter-in-law of this guy. And she said, and you see, the, the reason why I know it's been placed, and theologians know it's been placed, is because you see the pivotal role of clothes in this story. By the man who these belong, and she pulls out stuff, I am pregnant. And she says, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Now, if you read earlier, I'm not going to go into the thing, but she actually asks for those things. Anyway, it's a long kind of convoluted story. But she says that, and then Judah goes, oh my goodness, those are mine. <laughs> I'm like, so he's like condemning this woman, and he's just been found out as the perpetrator of the sin. And so Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. You see that? She is more righteous than I. Since I did not give her my son Salah, right? And, I, and he did not know her again. And at the time he came, the twins in the womb. Fast forward to the New Testament and Tamar gets mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So, I think when you actually go into Scripture, you'll find that things are not quite the cliche that they are. But anyway, here we are, right? Um, it so happens that Joseph actually is seduced by this woman. So it, it could have gone either way, I think. Joseph could have been the bad guy. Clearly the Bible has no problem making the hero a bad guy like, like Judah was. No problems at all, right? The chapter just before shows Judah to be a scoundrel, basically. But here's Joseph, and nobody's watching, and he's upright when no one is looking. Listen to, listen to his words. He basically says, um, he basically says that he does not want to sin against the trust that has been given to him. He does not want to sin against the woman's husband, Potiphar. And then finally, he makes a statement, he does not want to sin against God himself. That's the reason why, in a moment when nobody looks, he decides he's going to do the right thing. Um, I know you guys have heard me tell this story many times. Um, but I, I, I remember when I was young, and um, there were chances where um, I, I could have done um, things that I would not be proud of later on. And it, you know, there was one s specific moment. I, as you know, I came over here at 15. I came over here with another girl, actually. Uh, so the two of us got into Melbourne Uni really, really young. 
And so we got, we got pretty close, and I was just staying in a place by myself. Like, that was just, uh, my, my parents didn't know better. I was eating ice cream for dinner every night. Not every night, you know, every now and then. Yeah, that's right. When McDonald's was too far away, then I would just uh, eat. Um, anyway, so, uh, so me and this other girl got really close. And um, I remember one night where uh, she decided to stay over in my room. And I was just like, I don't know, I think I was like 15, probably turning 16. And, you know, like no parents were around. Um, and it was, maybe it was like a kind of romantic evening. I don't know what it was. We were doing accounting homework. You know, so it makes everything romantic in comparison. Um, and, and she basically said, you know what, I'm really, and so we, we had like a bit of a moment and whatever. And um, she says, you know what, I'm, it's getting late. I'm just going to stay overnight with you. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. And then she goes to bed on my single bed. It's in a room. And she's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? And nobody knows, right? Nobody knows I'm going to be pastor one day and tell the story. And like, what I was just 15. I was, anyway, I was petrified. And I can relate to Joseph when he says, God himself. Because I kid you not, I feared right then and there, I feared what God would think. And so I went out for a walk, and I walked until the morning. Because <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, no Fitbit. I better count those points now. Because anyway, oh my goodness, I barely slept that whole night until I was just petrified. Anyway, um, but those are the kind, I can imagine, I can imagine what Joseph uh, was going through. And so I think it's wise for us to pause right here at point number two and just pause for a moment to think about the times when no one is looking. What clothes do we put on? In our private encounters, our private chats with people, when we're on the internet and we're browsing and it's just ourselves around. Maybe when no one's looking in your own thoughts and in your own imaginations and in your heart of hearts when nobody's looking. Joseph reminds us that it's important even in those times to put on Christ. Even when no one's looking. Now Jesus was like that. So Joseph is a type of Jesus. And Jesus was tempted when he came. I don't know if you know that, but he gets tempted. He gets tempted in a way where no one is looking and Satan talks to him and goes, you know what, I give you the whole world. You just, you just proved he has a private, no one looking encounter of temptation. And Jesus puts on Christ, right? He's upright when no one is looking. Lastly, the third point. Trusting God when falsely accused. So Joseph ends up getting caught out again by clothing. Uh, uh, Potiphar's wife gets a piece of his, uh, I don't know, coat or jacket or whatever it is, accuses him, and the husband believes the wife. And Joseph 
goes to jail. And read the end of chapter 39. It's so matter of fact. Joseph goes to jail. He goes about doing things diligently. And he's promoted again to the top of the jail. Instead of being bitter, oh, I'm falsely accused. This is so unfair. He goes about again trusting God. So three of the same things. I want to talk a bit in this section about um, being uh, falsely accused. I want to talk about being misunderstood. I think that happens more often. If you're going to be get falsely accused in our church, in our society, in your home with your family, likely it's not for a crime or something that you're going to send to jail. Maybe it is, but very likely it's because you are misunderstood. As a pastor, we see this all the time. Because you know why? It's hard to communicate. My wife and I, we've been married 20 years and I'm still misunderstood. And I'm sure I'm misunderstanding her. And so constantly, constantly, I feel like I'm falsely accused of stuff in my home. But we see, we see because the communication is very hard. So we see in-laws falsely accusing their daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws, father-in-laws, right? Because something gets lost in that translation, right? So you think, oh, they're trying to cheat me. Oh, they're dishonoring me. They disrespect me in this area. We see um, that miscommunication across the generations even. Because the two generations operate very, very differently. And so something that could, I've seen so many instances where a young guy who's actually trying to be very honoring and very good comes in and serves and then insults an older generation person. And they feel like they've been wrongly accused. But because their whole culture is kind of insulting from the perspective of somebody who grew up in a high honor society, right? And so the intention is completely misunderstood. There is a false accusation, and I've seen that spiral. It happens the other way as well, right? But I've seen that spiral take place in our lives, in, in the life of this church that I grew up in. And you can get so hung up with the false accusation of how they have misunderstood you that you miss out on the fact that you are supposed to trust God who is going to pay back everything, who is going to be your avenger, who is going to be the writer of all wrongs eventually. That's what Joseph does. How do you react when you are misunderstood or falsely accused? Jesus let himself... Go to the cross. Jesus was falsely accused. The very focal point of our faith, if, even if you don't think Joseph is that epic or an example to follow, fine. Jesus? Jesus would be an example to follow. By allowing God to be the vindicator in the area that you have been falsely accused. By allowing God to be the vindicator, you spare yourself from the trap of bitterness. You know, they, they say revenge is like uh, eating poison, waiting for the other person to die. 
And what could have so easily happened to Joseph, so easily happened to Joseph, is he could have been consumed with the internal thoughts and the downward spiral that goes on in your head when you are falsely accused or you are misunderstood in a situation. But Joseph doesn't enter that trap. Uh, I tell you, it, it is, can be an all-consuming thing. I just, um, I just finished a book. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it. Um, it's called A Little Life. And wow, it was like a very interesting read. Please do not read it. Okay, anyway, the whole book, the whole book is recommended to me by two uh, women. Anyway, uh, the whole book is about this guy. And oh my goodness, he just spirals downward in the things that has happened to him. And I think... Um, I think that's why it's called a little life. But anyway, um, and it affects his whole life. And, you know, clearly he, he had been um, abused. And, and, and it just, it was a beautiful, it was a, it's, a, it's a, a Nobel Prize, it's a big book prize winner. Um, and I thought it was a good portrayal of the cycle of abuse that kind of goes on. But it is possible to break out of that cycle of abuse. And allowing God to be the vindicator spares yourself from falling into the trap of bitterness. And so we've got these three points of Joseph as he puts on clothes and he foretells Jesus Christ. Right? We've got these three things. Have you got it? Three ways in which you can put on Christ. And so now we're going to end with one that is so true, it will blow your mind. Right, we followed the story of Joseph. It's chapter 39. So true, it will blow your mind. Point number four in the Proverbs tradition is we are not Joseph. We're not Joseph. You can't do what Joseph does. You're not going to be able to pull it off. You'll I don't know if as I was talking, you were finding it hard to do some of the stuff that came on point one, two, and three. It's hard. Brothers and sisters, we are not falsely accused. We're not. We're not falsely accused. We all stand, if we're very honest, if this statement is going to be so true, we all stand accurately accused. All of us don't, we can't pull what Joseph did. We can't. And all of us, if we're very honest, we're not. We're not that super righteous, never sinned kind of person in our own lives. However we want to tell it to ourselves. I'll tell you now, I give you one story of how I stood up while no one was looking. There are a thousand stories where no one is looking where I messed up. A thousand or more. Because the actual reality, the big twist of point number four, the three plus one, the one that is different from the same three is, we are not Joseph. 
and we do not stand falsely accused. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. If you read the story of Joseph and you somehow think you are Joseph, you've got this all mistaken. We're supposed to read the story of Joseph and go, I can't believe this guy did that. Because no one I know can pull that off. No one could be so badly mistreated to fall down so low, to have been so diligent and yet falsely accused. And no one can keep themselves blameless in their thought life, in their private life, in their internet browsing, whatever else it is. We're supposed to look at Joseph and if we are honest, we're supposed to go, I'm not falsely accused. Whoever the accuser is, they're are sins that I have committed and a price needs to be paid. Um, that's why I think if you read from Romans 3.23 onwards, 24 and 25 says this. So all have sinned. And then 24.25 says, but they're justified by His grace, Jesus' grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means payment on behalf, by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over. He overlooked our former sins. And then you get to the main part of that passage in Romans 3, 26. So we've read 23, 24, 25, and you get to 26. And it was to show His righteousness at the present time. That to show His righteousness at the present time. That is a throwback to the end of the book of Genesis. It is a clue to the purpose of why Joseph gets all the, he gets the most chapters in the book of Genesis. Why does Genesis end with Joseph? Why is he, oh, so seemingly perfect and had so many things done wrong to him. And then at the end of the story, he saves his whole family and the countries all around. Why is that? Have you ever wondered? It's because he's pointing to Jesus. That's why scholars would look at the life of Jesus thousands of years later and go, oh my goodness, this guy is a fulfillment of so many prophecies. So many parts of the book of the Old Testament, books of the Old Testament will actually prophesy or foretell or give clues to Jesus Christ. Joseph is there to show righteousness at the present time. He's there to show the standard we can't keep. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in 
Jesus. Maybe I can invite up the worship band. I'm just going to close right now. But you cannot miss this point about the story of Joseph. And when we talk about putting on Christ, actually, while all the first three points are things we should be doing, don't get me wrong, they should be all things we do. But put on Christ actually means to literally put on Christ himself. Christ, who was righteous, who was falsely accused, who paid the price for our sins as propitiation, so that we stand under him. We're covered with his clothes so that almost when God looks at the sin of our lives and the issues of our lives, what he sees first is the clothes that we put on. And so we see Christ first. I think that is the big, most powerful message of the Christmas story. That when you ever go out to the shopping centers and in Melbourne or wherever you are, and you see pictures of little baby Jesus at Christmas, I hope you think, oh my goodness, little baby Jesus. So innocent. Wow. This guy, he ends up growing up, living the kind of life that mirrors Joseph. Pulls it off gets falsely accused, ends up sacrificing his life. And for what? And for what? So that a whole generation, multiple generations of people wouldn't have to pay the price or go through what they deserved to go through. Much like, and this is a bit of a spoiler for the story of Joseph, much like Joseph, who hoarded up all the grain. And they paid a price because they ate less during those years. So that all the other countries who ate up all of their food, when it came famine time and they were found short, falling short, didn't have to pay the price for their foolishness but instead could come under the shadow of what Joseph did. It's an analogy. It is so powerful. It blows my mind that Joseph's actual life could be a mirror of Jesus. Thousands. This is not one author. We're not talking Harry Potter and like somebody who writes a cohesive story in a cafe somewhere. You're talking about somebody who's writing stories that link across millennia using our history as the storybook. That's why I think the Christian faith is so powerful because it's, it's grounded in reality. It's grounded in real people. It's grounded in the real life of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to explore the life of Jesus Christ. I want, to, I want to encourage you to explore the Bible and its richness. But more important than that, I'm hoping that today you will explore how much 
We need Jesus. How much this Christmas, how much we need Jesus. I think it was so fitting that Uncle Alan led us in a time today where we took pause to contemplate our sins. Because we are not as good as we think we are. And we are all in need of a Savior. I was wondering maybe if we could close, could we do that song uh, with Jesus to the lonely? Oh my God, I can't remember the words of the song. Jesus, what a Savior. Fantastic. If we could do that, and as our worship team leads us, maybe Linda can lead us, you know, uh, in that song. This Christmas season, please contemplate Jesus who came down for us. Oh, so lowly. So that we wouldn't have to pay the price for what we actually deserve to get. So maybe all eyes closed. Now we're just going to, this time, it's time for you to sort things out with God. If you want to confess sins, if you need to relook at Jesus' role in your life, um, now is the time to do it.
I just want to um, give you a chance. I'm, just, I'm going to close in prayer now. But if you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, if today, even as I was talking, you feel like you're trapped, that there is bitterness inside you, you have been consumed by injustice that has happened in your life, or maybe you've been consumed by guilt of something that has happened in your life, I want to put it to you that maybe today is the day you put on new clothes, and today is the day you come under the covering of Jesus, who actually wants to give you a fresh start. Jesus has transformed many sinners across millennia, across the world, from hardened criminals to ordinary people. And so today, I want to encourage you, if, you, if that's you, maybe come up. As I, after I close the service, please come up and we'd love to pray for you. If you're a Christian and today you heard me talking about bitterness and, and being misunderstood and, and being falsely accused and it's a barrier in your life. It's something that you can't get past. I also want to pray for you today. We also want to spend some time praying for you because that's not a burden you need to carry around. It is not a burden you're intended to carry around. And so we want to pray for you that you would be able to put on Christ even in that situation. Okay, so I'm going to close in prayer. And then if you'd like to come up for prayer, please come up. We'll have our prayer ministry team up here. You're welcome to sort of also stay here and sort things out with God. And then um, can I encourage you to, if you're leaving to food, if you could do that quietly. Also, a little bit later, we're going to be calling people to again help reset the chairs. But we'll make an announcement later. Um, let me close this in prayer. Father, this Christmas, I pray that you would help us to see you. This, this season, may the clothes we wear be Jesus Christ himself. Lord God, I pray for every situation that we are about to face this, this holiday with our, in our relatives, at work, in our home, with the issues that kind of come up in day to day with our children, with our parents, with our in-laws, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our community. I pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to put on Christ in every situation. Lord God, we need you. Be front and center in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.